John chapter 10, Jesus says this, starting in verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, Jesus is using uh, a cultural illustration that would have been really clear to the people that heard this. Now, we don't live in an agrarian society. We don't live in a, in a society where all of us are farmers or involved in farming of some kind. So we need a bit of explanation. You guys have probably seen, you may have seen, if you've ever kind of hiked in the Lake District, there are places up there specifically where there are sheepfolds. And there are these kind of low rock walls that are kind of made in a circle. Usually they only have one sort of opening where you can, the sheep can come in. And these sheepfolds were, are, are a place where, of course, at the end of the day or the season, when the um, shepherds are, are done kind of helping their sheep to graze, they'll lead them into this place. And they'll somehow block off that entrance so that the sheep are in there and they're, they're kept safe. Now, this has been going on for thousands of years, that shepherds would, would make these sheepfolds. Now, what Jesus is talking about in these first five verses, he's talking about, he seems to be describing not the, the, a sheepfold of a single rural shepherd, but more he seemed to be describing um, a, a sheepfold that was larger, closer to a town or a village that would have been more of a communal sheepfold, a place where people, different people who owned sheep would kind of put their sheep together and they would hire somebody to kind of uh, take care of those sheep and be there. Now, when he talks about this, when he, when he makes this he, he makes this statement about the, the doorkeeper. He talks about that uh, anyone who doesn't come through the doorkeeper, through that opening, and ask the person who would lay there in the opening, can I come through? Anyone who doesn't do that, of course, is a thief and a robber. Well, this idea of the doorkeeper here is probably, in this verse, a reference to uh, uh, someone who's letting him in. He's talking about that he enters through uh, the doorkeeper. Uh, and, and so <clears throat> the doorkeeper in this context is probably a reference to the Old Testament scriptures, all that the prophets had said about who the Messiah would be. And so he's trying to probably give this illustration of, look, I'm allowed to come in because the sheep uh, or the doorkeepers would have recognized me as a true shepherd and let me kind of go in and call the sheep that are mine and they would have followed me out. So in a sense, he's using this illustration to um, to show uh, why he should be followed, that he's someone who uh, would, be recon- would have been recognized by the doorkeepers, by the Old Testament saints and prophets, uh, and therefore he would have been one who should be followed. When he continues on and talks about the sheep hear his voice, he calls them out by name. Again, they would have understood, very common in that day, still even in Middle Eastern cultures, that sheep get so familiar with their, either their, their shepherd's voice and just calling them by name or giving certain calls, or by their shepherd's song. He would use maybe a, a local flute, and they would kind of get used to that, that they would follow that sheep. In fact, there's a story that says that during World War I, uh, some Turkish soldiers had gone into some place in the Middle East and were trying to steal sheep away from the shepherd. And the shepherd, of course, couldn't take the sheep back by force because they're all soldiers and they're armed. So what he does is he begins to call them by name. And the sheep 
just kind of wiggle loose and get away from the, the soldiers that they can't hold on to and go right back to the shepherd. They hear his voice and then run away from these who are trying to steal them. And this is kind of something, again, that has happened for thousands of years that, that um, Jesus is using as an illustration. In fact, in talking about this, he's going to say, look, this is not just why I should be followed, but this explains why people are following me. They hear my voice, they recognize me as a true shepherd, and they follow me. Now, what it says, though, it's interesting in verse 6, is, it says, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke about. So, in other words, they understood the cultural aspects that we would have to have explained. But they had no clue why he's using this illustration. Now, the reason is, is because they were, weren't getting that he was referring to the circumstance they had just experienced. So, to understand that, we have to look at all of chapter 9, but really quickly, okay? So, let's look at uh, chapter 9. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 9 of John chapter 10. Great story. One of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John. So, verse 1 says, Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so the disciples are trying to ask a philosophical question as they see this man who's obviously suffering because he's been born blind. He's obviously in a place probably potentially impoverished, but definitely someone who doesn't have the ultimate life. And so you almost, you almost kind of glean this insensitivity, you know, like, hey, what, what's his problem? How come he's blind? Are his parents sinners? Or it's just because he's such a sinner? And Jesus is going, uh, it's neither uh, in the sense that the reason this is is because God, I'm going to do a work here. And so what happens in verse 6 is when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, he made clay with saliva, anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back. Therefore the neighbors and those who had previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I went and I washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Well, where is he? He said, I don't know. And so this guy's just recognizing that this is what happened to me. And now I see. This is all there is, right? And the people are blown away because they recognize this guy was definitely born blind. Verse 13. They brought him, for, uh, they, these people who were wondering, brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was uh, a Sabbath when the, Jesus had made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees who asked him again how he had uh, received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can uh, a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And that's important. Then they said to the blind men again, uh, What do you say about him who opened, he opened his eyes? And he said, this is the former blind man who says, he's a prophet. So they take him to the Pharisees to see what's going on. The Pharisees are just like, we don't believe in this guy. This guy's saying, he's got to be a prophet because I can see. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they had called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does uh, he now see? His parents answered and said, 
We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means uh, he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Now, John tells us why they said this. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. That's excommunicated. Therefore, his parents says, he's of age, ask him. So, his parents know that Jesus did this, but they're afraid to say, because they don't want to be excommunicated. So, they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now you get a sense now that this blind guy or ex-blind guy is getting a bit impatient. So he says, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, we, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of anyone opened, uh, that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not, not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out, they excommunicated him. And so you have this scenario where this man has a supernatural healing, uh, one that's completely unexplained. He's born blind. He becomes this very pic- the very picture of salvation. Blind until God, until Jesus opens his eyes. And the Pharisees refuse to see it. So in verse 35 it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, I love that, Jesus went searching for him. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not uh, see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. So the whole context where Jesus begins to say these, give this illustration, this cultural illustration about, uh, about being the true shepherd, about the one who would have been recognized by the doorkeepers, the Old Testament prophets. It's in this context of, of the Pharisees, basically, who are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel. The Pharisees who refuse to see him as he is, refuse to recognize what the Old Testament prophets would have recognized. And Jesus wanting to, to draw a contrast between the two of them. And that's where we get into these next few verses, verses 7 to 10. And we're going to just barely scratch the surface about Jesus being this true shepherd, about Jesus, as we're going to see, saying that he's the door. Neil's going to get into the rest of this stuff, but we're going to kind of just scratch the surface, right? So verse 7 says, <clears throat> Then Jesus said to them again, Most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, Jesus is taking this, the illustration he used before, but he's tweaking a bit. Here he seemed to be describing not so much this rural, I mean this uh, village sort of communal 
uh, sheepfold, but more of that rural sheepfold, where it would have been just a simple, very rudimentary stack of rocks in a circle with one opening. On top of the rocks, they would have uh, put thorny branches and stuff that would have really kind of kept out thieves, robbers, but most of all, the, the predators of the sheep. Now, when he says he's the door, you guys have probably heard this before, but when he says he's the door, it's a reference to not that he's a wooden thing on hinges, okay? But that he would have been, as the shepherd, as a rural shepherd who would have known the sheep well, he would have placed himself in that opening. So there's no way any sheep could get into, the she- into there or any animals or anything else could get into, um, uh, into that sheepfold where the sheep were unless they went through him. They couldn't get in, uh, and also they couldn't get out. They wouldn't be able to leave unless they went through him. Okay, So he's, he's giving this picture of him. And what he's going to do here is he's going to draw a really clear contrast between him as the true shepherds and the Pharisees as false shepherds, the false leaders of Israel. Now again, this is something that we see throughout the Old Testament. This is something that we see predicted that's going to happen with uh, with. When when the Messiah comes, the Bible talks about. I just lost my train of thought. I want to say it's um, in Jeremiah 34. I could be wrong, but but, uh, it talks about the prophets talk about how uh, that God's going to send them good shepherds. He's going to send them shepherds after His own heart who will tend the sheep because God was constantly having to chasten Israel for their sin and specifically chasten the leaders of Israel for leading their people into sin. This was their whole history. They always had these people that led them the wrong way. Even Moses, who's totally revered, ended up misrepresenting God and not able to go into the promised land. And so Jesus wants to draw this contrast. So let's look first at these, these false shepherds. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, All who were at, whoever came before me, notice he says, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He didn't say were, he says are. So this seems to be a direct uh, reference to these current Pharisees that he's dealing with, okay? Now he refers to them as sheep, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, as, as thieves and robbers. And he says later on in verse 10, what does he say? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now most of us have heard John 10, 10 quoted, haven't we? And we always think about, well, that's a reference to the devil. And that definitely applies to the characteristics of our enemy, Satan. There's no doubt about that. The, the, the enemy, uh, that the devil and his angels definitely want to um, you know, steal, kill, and destroy for us. But he is talking immediately about these false shepherds, about these false teachers, and about this is what they, these leaders are doing. Now, now think about this. He says that they've come to steal. Do you remember when Jesus cleans out the temple? Remember this in... Um, Matthew chapter 21, uh, it says that Jesus went into the temple of God. He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. It's interesting, this, this quote that he quotes, my house is called a house of prayer. That's from Isaiah 56. And right after Isaiah talks about this, that my house will be a house of prayer, right after that, towards the end of, Isaiah, of chapter 56, he talks about the, the characteristics of bad shepherds, of how the, the leaders of Israel were so carnal. And so it's interesting here that these guys, one of the things that these Pharisees were at least allowing to do was they were allowing uh, people to make money 
off of God's people, ripping God's people off for their own financial gain. Jesus would say about them in other places that they would, uh, <clears throat> with a, a pretense, they would, they would sort of take advantage of widows. And the idea there is, the implication is financially, they would take advantage of these poor women financially, which is hideous. And again, you see the same thing characteristic of, of many false teachers today, don't we? Especially on religious television, these guys are constantly ripping people off. And so Jesus is wanting to contrast himself to that. He's not like that. But it also says that the thief comes not just to steal, but also to, to kill. The thief comes to kill. Now, if you look just a couple verses over in John chapter 10, verses 31 to 33, what does it say? It says, then the Jews took up stones uh, again to stone him, to stone Jesus. They want to kill him. And Jesus answers, answers them and says, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And they answer Jesus, saying, For good work we do not stone you, <clears throat> but for blasphemy, because you being men make yourself equal to God. So these guys wanted to kill him. In fact, these guys would in one sense succeed in killing him. Why? Because they're thieves. They're false. They wanted to destroy him. That's what they desired. Now he also says that this, this thief, or these thieves and robbers, they also come to destroy. Now Jesus, again, in Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 23, he, he has these woes that he says to the scribes and Pharisees, these kind of pronouncements of judgments. And he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For uh, you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those uh, who are entering to go in. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you will travel land and sea to win one proselyte, but when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Pretty harsh words, huh? But Jesus is saying this because he, he, he is, he is as, as, as the prophets have done in the past, condemning the false and bad shepherds of Israel who are leading God's people actually away from God. He's condemning them. <clears throat> now, now, this is important, okay? It's important to see that this is the contrast he's trying to draw here. Because sometimes we can, we can lose the obvious in these kinds of contrasts. Because the obvious thing is this. Jesus is saying, these false shepherds lead you away from me. But then what does he say? He talks about himself. This is important. Because what can happen is, we can think the answer to false teachers is for people to follow good teachers. But actually, what Jesus is wanting to make it really clear, the answer to false teachers is for people to follow Jesus. It's to follow him. To see that he's the one who's the good shepherd. He's the one who is to, to, to lead people. In fact, it's interesting, in one of the descriptions, I think it's in Isaiah 56's uh, description of false shepherds, he, he refers to them as dogs who are mute. They, they can't bark. They can't make noise. They're, they're dogs that are mutes, right? Which is interesting. Because in modern, uh, uh, in, in when it comes to modern shepherding, often shepherds have what? They help them. Sheepdogs. And what's the sheepdog's role, basically? To bark at the sheep so that the sheep follow the shepherd. Really, that's what, what, what I really all I am. Less of a shepherd, more of a sheepdog. I'm just supposed to nip at your heels, bark, and say, go follow Jesus. Follow after him. And really, this is kind of what Jesus is wanting them to see. He's wanting them to see that they need to follow after him. So, 
So that's the contrast he's drawing. But what does he say about himself? He says, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the one who lays there. I'm that rural shepherd who knows my sheep well. They hear my voice. I protect them. No one can come into that fold that doesn't come through me. And we'll unfold, unpack that more when we get to John chapter 14. But also it means that he says, notice what he says in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Literally safe and secure. He's going to be right where they need to be. And notice, he will go in and out and find pasture. Now, because the shepherd would, would sleep in that doorway and know his sheep so well, when it was time for him to go, he would lead them. One of the things that's really, again, common about shepherds is they don't have to drive their sheep. They're not like cattle where you kind of prod them and poke them and beat them to try to get them going. He would call them by name and they would follow him where he goes. Now, what Jesus is, is doing here is when he says, I'm the door, he's, he's showing himself to be not just a hireling. He'll, he'll compare himself to a... He'll contrast himself to a hireling, and I'm sure uh, Neil will get into that next week. But he's showing himself to be, as Peter calls him, the chief shepherd. The one who knows the sheep intimately. The one who owns the sheep. The one who protects the sheep. The one who, who cares for the sheep. So what we really want to look at and close with is Psalm 23. So let's go over to Psalm 23 and look at what it says. A familiar psalm. Some of you guys probably have this memorized. But good for us to think, this is what Jesus is saying about himself. When Jesus says, I am the door. Anyone who comes in by me will be safe, and I will, he will come in and out, and I'll lead him into good pastures. He is basically saying, I am who's described in Psalm 23. Look what he says. The Lord, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for, my name, for his name's sake. Now, what I love about the imagery, in fact, it's, to me it's really sad that Psalm 23 is always read at funerals. <laughs> As if, you know, the Lord's only your shepherd right before you die. Because that's not really what's going on here. When he says in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The valley of the shadow of death. You know what that begins? The day you're born. You know what it ends? The day you die. It's your life. We all live in the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds morbid, I know. But it's true, isn't it? Our life's but a vapor. We live in the valley of shadow of death. And the good news is, is that our Lord isn't just someone who says, Here's a book you should read, or here's some rules you should follow. But He Himself leads us into good pastures. He himself teaches us uh, to not want, to not lack, that he's our provider of all things that we need. He shows us how to lie down in those green pastures, how to be in a place of safety and rest. He, he leads us beside still waters, a place where we can be refreshed and strengthened. He restores my soul, David says. He puts us back where we're supposed to be when we've got scattered. One of the things about sheep, of course, and we all are like sheep this way, is that we often get freaked out. We get scared easy. We run away quickly. That's one of the things about sheep. A lot of times um, when sheep are being chased by predators, sometimes they will die before they're caught. They'll have heart attacks. They get so stressed out so easy. 
And so the thing about sheep is they're not too bright. They scare very easily. They scatter very easily. And they get uptight and stressed. And so a good shepherd knows how to restore those sheep, how to get them back to a place of calm. And our God does that for us. Jesus says he does that for us. He leads us in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. God wants to make himself known by, notice, how he leads us. So when Jesus says, I'm the door, he's basically saying, look, all these other guys, they're false shepherds. The reason they don't recognize me is because they don't recognize the Lord as the shepherd. Therefore, they don't know their Lord. They don't know uh, him as the good shepherd. So when the good shepherd's right before them, they can't recognize him. So what do they do? Do they try to come through the door? Do they try to come through Jesus? No. They might be in the fold, but when Jesus wants to lead them out to pasture, what are they going to decide to do? No, we want to get out and go to our own pasture, so we are going to crucify the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, this is why you don't recognize me. I love the fact, too, that, of course, he says, your rod and your staff will comfort me. One of the images that I saw, um, trying to find some images to show you guys today, was the shepherd laying down at that sort of that doorway of the sheepfold and laying kind of with the shepherd there in his hand, ready to pop up and use that shepherd to, you know, crack the skulls of some wolves if they come, they come by. This is, this is the, the God that we serve. I think it's important that when we look at the imagery of, of that Jesus is bringing up here and the, and the context he's bringing up here, that we recognize this simple thing about him being the door. Not just that we can't come to God except through Jesus. That's totally true. Again, we'll unpack that more when we get to John 14. But that reality that he's a shepherd that cares for us. He personally guides us. He personally protects for us. Uh, protects us. He personally is with us. God himself is our shepherd. You can say very clearly, Jesus is your pastor. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. It takes, it takes all kinds of pressure off of me, for one. And for two, it reminds me, that's really the, all we really need. It, it, we don't, we don't, you know, we're, myself, Adam, whoever else gets raised up, Joe gets raised up to do pastoral ministry in this church, whoever else does, all of us are going to fall short. None of us can be the good shepherd. Jesus is the good and chief shepherd. He's the door. We just want to bark you guys to him. 